You have to you have to know all the ins and outs about Dolly. So I'll I'll teach you more. And there are, there are Dolly isms that you can live by. Like mm-hmm. it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. <sighs> and now it's time to play it back. I'm Gia Jung, and I'm John Asante. And we are here to talk about the songs we love, hate, and appreciate in this brand new year of 2017. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year, Gia. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm really happy. It's a new year and a new place to record. We're here at Stush Studios with a new member of our team, Steve Francis, who's making a sound extra sharp. And I'll tell you, this place is so plush compared to sitting on the floor of my apartment with the USB mic balanced on a leather settee. This is just, you know, I feel like we're more ourselves than we've ever been, or like a better version of ourselves. How are you feeling? Exactly. New year, new us. I'm feeling like it's this is an upgrade. Total upgrade. And it's just so strange how you can just completely change it up and then feel comfortable right away, you know? Yeah, um, but, you know, it's not always like that. I, I mean, for me, it true. wasn't always like that. I can think of the time when I was 16. My family moved from New Jersey to Georgia. I was completely new. Uh, made my first friends who weren't just white kids, really just my first black friends, which was kind of a crazy thing. Whoa. Considering, like, the only black people I knew were really in my family. I but didn't even know this about you. I don't know how I haven't shared that yet. And I how know. I haven't learned. I guess that's, I just kind of just forgotten oh about New Jersey. But anyways, uh, so I moved to Georgia and didn't really feel like I fully fit in. But I had these two friends, Chris and Christian, who were always willing to share new experiences with me, new music, talk about sports. But music was always the big thing with us. And I remember them uh, telling me about grinding that song by clips and how pharrell had a certain production style and i just remember that beat that just goes like and it was this weird interesting beatbox it was very minimal it sounded like they were clanging together spoons and hitting tabletops and i loved how unique that was and how that even though we didn't think it was that special to anybody else, we loved how interesting and different it was because it was it was different from other music out there. I mean, snap music was big, so everything was huge and pronounced and loud. You got like Lil Jon and Eastside Boys and and all those oh, yeah. big groups, you the know. The crunk movement. Yes, the crunk movement. Mm-hmm. And so hearing grinding was just this like nugget of gold that by, was just by so the way, different. nice beatboxing skills. <laughs> that really brings us to that time and moment. <laughs> that loop is awesome. Stuck in my head <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know of that talent of yours either you'll oh. have to bring it up more often oh. you know <laughs> um for me too i i guess i was in a different environment once uh let's try to sum it up uh, 1999 mm-hmm. summer of 1999 south caicos in the caribbean mm-hmm. eight mile squared island bob marley could you be loved it's like yeah, and I felt comfortable there, even if it was a totally different place. I started feeling comfortable and relaxed when I heard that, like a part of it all. And isn't being a part of something a feeling that we all crave? Absolutely. You know what? That is it right there. That's what Play It Back is about. That's what music is about and what humanity is about. And what better way to illustrate this, perhaps, than our next guest, who is this beautiful live performer 
He's won several Moth Slams and gone to the Grand Slam in storytelling. And he comes from a background of real live dance choreography. And he's here to share with us a little bit about what he's gone through and how he's come into his own with a little help from a song sung by a treasure of a woman. Hi, Mark Lamb. Hi, Gia. (laughs) So we're sitting here today with some pink bubbly champagne because not only is this the new year, it is... Dolly Parton's birthday month. Her birthday is January 19th and she'll be 71 years old. Well, cheers to that. Here's to Dolly. I'm Mark Lamb. I'm a choreographer living here in New York City. I'm originally from a, a little town called Sturgis, Kentucky. And I've been in New York for almost 13 years now. Lived in Knoxville, Tennessee for a while in East Tennessee and um, kind of uh, over the years have fallen in love with Dolly Parton and she's become a spiritual guide for me and kind of lived my life around Dolly's teachings and her philosophies and ideas of um, charity and acceptance and kindness and uh, she's uh, one of my big role models. So we're here to talk about Dolly and Coat of Many Colors. You know, when we originally talked, you asked me about a significant song is how I remembered it. So I actually have another favorite Dolly song called Smoky Mountain Memories or Appalachian Memories. And I know they're thinking of me. The Smoky Mountain Memories keep me strong. But the most significant song to me is Code of Many Colors. Its message, uh, how she tells it, it's actually influenced me as a storyteller and how I live my life as an artist in America. Mama sewed the rags together, sewing ever piece with love. She made my coat of many colors that I was so proud of. And when we were preparing for this, you sent me your first winning story with a moth, which happened to be... A boy and his dolly. <laughs> it's um, a story I wrote about Dolly, and it's it's had many incarnations. Um, last year, that story kind of hit its opus for me, um, where I did it in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the Bijou Theater, where Dolly got her start as a little girl. Nice, beautiful old gem of a theater, and I had a full bluegrass band um, of musicians I've worked with for years in East Tennessee and Dolly Parton herself even sent a video to open the show. Have you ever met Dolly in person? No and you know that's it's very strange because you know I, I did a boy and his Dolly as a big show like she sent a video I really thought that I would meet her. Um, it's coming Mark. I, you know, she's 71. I hope she lives forever. Um, but I have yet to meet her. I, I've, I've done everything in my power to meet her, but it hasn't happened. If she happens to hear this, Dolly, um, I'd love just to shake your hand and let you know how much you mean to me. Let's talk about the song a bit. You showed me your favorite version on YouTube of this song and it was on Country at the BBC in 1979. This particular version, it's just her with the guitar and she's playing with an open tuning. You know, back then, 
she didn't always have a team following her around, so she had these kind of polyester outfits that she could wash out in a sink on her tour bus. And um, she's got the big wig and the hoop earrings. Um, a lot of people don't realize that she's five foot tall. She's a tiny woman, and she was very uh, conscious of her hands being, uh, she called them stubby and fat. So she wears these long acrylic nails, and in this version, you can hear those nails picking the guitar and scraping, and it just seems, to me, the song is very personal and very raw. And I love the big produced versions, but my favorite version is this. It's a, it's a, a little rough, and she talks in this version, and some of the more produced things, she sings all of the lines. Um, whenever she speaks in a song, it, it just grabs my heart. So anyway, I love this version. I love how she modulates when she has this hope of going to school and showing off her new code. And and you said that the key changes to a major part. A major key, yeah. It gets really, it modulates up. It signifies she, her excitement, her hope of showing off this new coat to her schoolmates. It's just such a, a beautiful version of the song. Just to find the others laughing and making first heard this song and what the circumstances were? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I know it was the 70s. I had two older brothers, so I got a lot of hand-me-downs. And then one of my father's best friends, my father was a school teacher, and one of his best friends was a principal, and he had two sons that were older than me. My father's friend's mother, um, Miss Betty, was pretty eccentric, and she would buy like 70s clothes that my mom was a little bit more conservative. And Miss Betty would hand those clothes down to me and my brother. So, for example, we got brown suede vests that had all these tassels on it and beads, and it was really groovy. And in particular, he gave me this fake fur coat. And I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So I loved wearing this big fake fur coat. I think I was in like, I don't know, third grade. Wow. And um, But people made fun of me. So I I didn't have a coat of many colors, but I had my coat of fake fur that, (laughs) you know, was a hand-me-down. I love that coat. So I kind of relate to it on a real personal level, too, because I was a little bit eccentric as a little boy in a small town in Kentucky, you know, wearing these kind of uh, out there fashions and got picked on and made fun of just like Dolly. Do you want to share some of your favorite lyrics, maybe, and what the song was about for her? She starts with, back through the years, I go wondering once again, back to the seasons of my youth. That lyric, it just takes you right there. I think it's just such a great lyric. And she has such a gift of rhyme. That puts us in a place. And then she just lets us know how her mother really cared for her. There were 12 children, but she credits her mother for knowing when one of the kids needed special attention. 
And this is growing up in Tennessee, right? In East Tennessee and Locust Ridge. And they grew up in the Great Smoky Mountains. So they were very poor. They lived in a two-room house. You know, the coat is made out of rags that a friend of theirs gave them for quilting and things like that. But Dolly really needed a coat. And her mother knew that Dolly was, even as a kid, was eccentric and, and liked to be different. So she made her this little coat out of these rags, but she wanted Dolly to feel special about the coat. So she references Joseph and the coat of many colors and and tells her, you know, that I hope this coat will bring you good luck and happiness. She gives her the coat and blesses it with a kiss. But for me, you know, the most significant part of this song and the most significant part of the lyric is especially you know, struggling as an artist. It seems like more and more in our society, value and success is placed on money. And money makes you valuable and money makes you successful. And I mean, you can even look at the new president-elect and and that how we've, we've elevated this idea of a great businessman, I say in quotes, as something of value and import. But in Code of Many Colors, Dolly says that money doesn't mean anything, that she felt she was rich because she had love and she had acceptance and she had her family that cared for her and those were her riches. And then she goes, you know, she wears the coat to school and they're making fun of her coat because to her schoolmates, it's just rags sewn together. But to her, her mother made it with love. She says, one is only poor if they choose to be. And that lyric is why this song is the most significant song in my life. They didn't understand it and I tried to make them see. One is only poor, only if you choose to be. And it's also her favorite song, personally. Yes, you know, she has a catalog of over 3,000 songs. Wow. Yeah. She's written so much, she's so prolific, but for her, this is her favorite song. It, it, it means the most to her. What other than just the experience of growing up and having this special coat and the love from her mother and her family, what sparked her to write the song? Well, the way the story goes is she was touring with Porter Wagner. And if you don't know Porter Wagner, he had a TV show in Nashville. And she was the girl singer on that show. I think they were doing the fair circuit. A lot of country music singers do that. And they were on a bus. And Porter's known for wearing these uh, bright, very sparkly costumes. And... um, I think the way it goes is she was sitting on the bus and there was one of Porter's coats in a dry cleaning bag with a pink receipt. And she looks up at the coat and sees the receipt and rips the receipt off the dry cleaning bag and writes Coat of Many Colors in 15 minutes. Now, if you go to Dollywood, which is my personal mecca, I try to make it at least once mm-hmm. a year, and you go to the Chasing Rainbows Museum, which is about Dolly's life, a replica of the coat is there, but the original dry cleaning receipt with the original lyric is in a display case wow. with the replica of the coat. And the replica of the coat was made by her mother. 
Thing. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I wonder what happened to the original coat. I th- she wore it out. Wow. This was the way she talked about, you know, how kids are. And then the song came out in 1971, so she would have been about 25. So she was about 33 or so on Country at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Were you a, as much of a Dolly fan before you heard this song? You know, for me, she had this TV show in the 1970s. She literally comes out of the ceiling. And if you imagine, you know, I'm about eight or nine, feeling kind of disconnected from uh, so many things. And then here, she comes down of the ceiling on this red velvet rope swing. And to me, she looked like an angel coming out of the heavens. Was that your first exposure to Dolly? That was my first exposure. How, How old were you? I think I was about eight or nine it was like 1976 okay to a lot of people when i speak of dolly parton she's considered a great american punchline more more so in the late 70s 80s she was on every tabloid yeah that's when i was growing up i Mm -hmm. remember and she would lose weight and gain weight and she she started the plastic surgery and You know, she says, I'm a cartoon character I drew myself. Love that. So, you know, she, to me, in my teenage years, I started seeing her as a joke. I remember one night she was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and he said he'd give a year of his salary just to get one peek under her dress. Oh, ew. So, yeah, it's, and you know, back then, like, things like that were funny to people they were okay and so I kind of fell out of love with her and then we got HBO Uh and that was a game changer culturally for me um, because we went from four channels to all this exposure and back then HBO did like tons of like Bette Midler special and Whoopi Goldberg on Broadway and they did Dolly Parton live from London at the Palladium And she, it was in the 80s, and she came out and she started singing the songs that I had listened to when I was eight or nine, and I heard them with fresh ears. So it was like I was kind of reborn, born again, if you will, <laughs> born again into Dolly. the church of Dolly. <laughs> so, and wow. what and what really affected me was... There were a lot of kind of punk new wave people in the audience that had flowers and they were swaying and and crying to Code of Many Colors and Jolene and things like that. But when she talked about Code, that performance and sang it, that's when it started to cement with me. Oh, I see. I'm really probing now and I've heard from your storytelling the general arc of your, you know, pretty much like a, a brave escape into this world of art you know so for me it was the 80s and you know i'd I'd been listening to blondie and the smiths and the cure and and so i went into the more new wave and i like dyed my hair black and i had this kind of giant bang with the long in the back and shaved underneath and you know ear cuffs and the you know, new wave mullet. Yeah, the new wave mullet and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, when I came out in the 80s, AIDS came out. Mm-hmm. 
And there's this parallel that I drew, I, I think now that I'm older and wiser, I I had made fun of Dolly and, and considered her to be a joke because I was a teenager and I, you know, she wasn't cool anymore. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, when you have the press secretary of the Reagan administration where people are dying right here in New York City and the press secretary uh, is making a joke about it when when questioned by a reporter um, about AIDS, he asked the reporter, the male reporter, like, well, why do you want to know about it? Insinuating that, oh, isn't that funny that you might be gay too? And so things like that sent me a message that I was a joke and that I was less human. And so, you know, you're looking at Dolly Parton on these tabloids and they're speculating about her weight and love affairs and lesbianism and plastic surgery and how she was unnatural and all these things. And it just, when I watched that Palladium show on HBO, I was like, oh my God, she is just as big a freak as I am. And she, she talks, embraces it. she embraces it. And, and in fact, she, you know, she modeled herself after the town tramp. You know, they'd, they'd go to Sevierville, and she'd see this lady of the night kind of walking around. When she was just a little girl. Well, a little girl, and she, oh, mom, isn't she beautiful? I want to just be like her. And her mom say, oh, Dolly, she just trash. She's like, that's what I want to be, mom. I want to be trash. <laughs> so she calls herself, you know, a self-affirmed backwoods Barbie. It made me realize, like, I was always running away being from a small town. I was trying to change my accent. I was trying to be different and then that Dolly thing just stuck with me stuck with me and then when I moved to East Tennessee I learned more and more about her and what a humanitarian she is so she has a foundation called the Dollywood Foundation and the heart of that is the Imagination Library her father could not read or write so she made it a mission that she would do her best to get books in the hands of children in her county. Um, So she started the Imagination Library, and the concept is each child from the time they're born gets a book every month, and it comes in the mail with their name on it. You know when you're a little kid and you got, like, Highlights Magazine or... And Scholastic Book Order. Scholastic Book Order, like National Geographic, and my name was on it. It so, So she knew how special that felt so they get a book every month until they go to school until they're five or six well it started in Sevier County grew to Tennessee now it's in all 50 states and I think in maybe four or five other countries it's it continues to grow so millions and millions of books go out and I've you know part of my mission with the boy and his dolly as a show is to raise money for the imagination library aha uh-huh. after making your move to New York City what else have you had going on dolly related or otherwise and what's coming up well I have my own dance company here called Mark Lamb Dance and we have a show February 4th. Uh, I do a salon series at Metro Baptist Church. I've had the pleasure of seeing one. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and you, eating your cheese straws. Yeah, I'm kind of famous for my southern cheese straws. Then I'm doing a storytelling show in Kentucky at a White Buck Winery, and that's going to be in February. Um, that usually makes it on Regional Voices, a local NPR. And then... Um, 
another salon in June here. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of on the and road. Sometimes you 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 can be found in the Turks and Caicos Islands. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a dancer friend. Um, she lives in the Turks and Caicos Islands, and I'll be going back there in April. I've been creating site-specific works on the beaches of the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's amazing. And these are visual artworks too, right? Yes. Um, they're installation pieces that are um, made with dancers. So the Turks and Caicos has actually become kind of a second home for me. Ooh, how nice. Yeah. I feel like on the website, we're going to have to have like a grid with a calendar and hyperlinks to all that you do. <laughs> yeah. I'm an honorary Dolly apologist, and I think after this interview, you might be a Dolly apologist too. Does that mean somebody who's sorry for misjudging her during those years and then realizing her contribution to humanity? Right, that would count. But you have to you have to know all the ins and outs about Dolly. So I'll I'll teach you more. And there are, <laughs> there are Dolly isms that you can live by. Like mm-hmm. it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. That was Mark Lamb, hailing from Sturgis, Kentucky, now in New York City, where he's been a six-time Storytelling Slam competition winner for the Moth Storytelling Series and was the 2016 Grand Slam champion for his home state. If you want to know more about his future performances and projects, you can go to marklambdance.org or to his blog at magnoliamouth.com. Play It Back is produced by me, John Asante. And me, Gia Jung. And shout out to our newest member of the team, Steve Francis, as we're recording this here at Stitch Studios NYC. And shout out to Amos Rose for composing our theme music. If you're a fan of our work, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love it if you could leave a review and rate our podcast because it helps other people find our work too. And talk to us, please, if you have a story about a song that's changed the course of your life, why not drop us a line at playitbackradio at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Play It Back. We're on Twitter at Play It Back Radio. And if you want to learn more about Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors, you can go to our website, playitbackradio.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace. Peace.